Major League Baseball is back. The NBA and NHL are on the way. And The Athletic is offering big savings to help you enjoy all the action. You can get 40% off an annual subscription. Don't miss exclusive, in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. If you go to theathletic.com slash Starkville, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. You won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash Starkville for 40% off an annual subscription. Hope to see you there. Welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. Hits it inside the park. Home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte. Skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer Doug Glanville. And Doug, this was going to be a show celebrating the return of baseball with our friend Dan Shulman. But in light of what's happening now with the Marlins, it feels like we have a slightly different show, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, as we need to. Um, we Existential crisis is what we're facing. So, you know, got to shift gears quickly and, and share what we know and, you know, kick around possibilities and, and uh, you know, get some feedback from our audience because I know we're all concerned. Yeah, to say the least. Uh, we will still talk to Dan Schulman about this situation and the Toronto Blue Jays or the Buffalo Bill Jays, whatever they're going to be called this season, if there is a season. But first, Doug, we're going to welcome in Dr. Zachary Binney, uh, an epidemiologist at Emory University's Oxford College and a man who has become one of our most vocal and important authorities on the place of sports in a country battling a pandemic. Uh, now, Dr. Binney and I have spoken enough in the last month that we're allowed to call him Zach. So, Zach, thanks for joining me and Doug Glanville on Starkville. Please, Jason, Doug, it's it's my pleasure. I mean, obviously under suboptimal circumstances, but uh, but yeah, no, happy to be here. I appreciate it. And uh, look, I know we spoke Sunday when we knew that four Marlins players had tested positive for COVID-19, but it's now Monday. That number is up to 11 players and multiple staff members. So let's start with this question. What should Major League Baseball do to address the status of the Marlins? Yeah, so there's no question that you have an out-of-control outbreak on the Marlins. So you have to take a lot of time uh, to let the virus kind of work its way out of the clubhouse, which to me means probably shutting down the team for about two weeks. Uh, That way, any... Uh, cases that are currently known or that might rear their heads over the next few days will have time to both um, occur and resolve, hopefully. And, uh, you know, CDC guidelines would say uh, that anybody who is asymptomatic has to be isolated and out for 10 days. Um, And 
that anybody with symptoms has to wait until 24 hours after their symptoms resolve. So even if you were to try to play sooner than that, I mean, the Marlins would be losing a good chunk of their starters and at least 12 players. I am not sure uh, why you would want to try to play under those circumstances. So I think you should kind of take two weeks and just like rebooting your computer, the team needs a hard reset. Right. Now, look, we both know how difficult it is to shut down a team for two weeks when the baseball season has started because that team has a schedule. That team is supposed to play other teams. That team has traveled. It has been in Atlanta and Philadelphia, and it had previously been in Miami just a few days before all of this. And so, like, you're viewing this as an infectious disease expert. Major League Baseball is viewing this within the context of a sport. Sure. Should that matter now? Should sports matter at a time like this? I mean, you were just reading me Derek Jeter's statement just before we came on, and then he said that the yeah, health okay. of the Marlins players and their organization is their number one priority. And if that's the case, then then that needs to be the number one priority. And I sympathize. That stinks for the Marlins organization, for their players, for their coaches who worked so hard for this. But the truth is that we don't completely control the situation right now. We control our individual actions. We control not doing risky things. We control wearing our masks. But the virus is in control of the country right now. And even professional sports, even Major League Baseball is going to have to bend to it. And the fact that you have so many cases, um, I don't expect it to stop here. I don't expect these to be all the cases that that we uncover. Um you know, I don't know how you can continue playing uh, under under that situation. At a minimum, you have to shut down for five days at least to see if, if more cases uncover. And you need to wait because you could have ongoing transmission from cases that are newly discovered tomorrow or the next day. Uh, you know, you, you could still have more come from chains of transmission from those people after that. So... There's there's no cure but but time here, unfortunately. But I really feel for the Marlins organization and the players and the coaches. Yeah, well, since you referenced that Derek Jeter statement, uh, let's just take a quick look at his first statement on this matter. Uh, they have postponed uh, their game Monday night. That's the that was the scheduled home opener. Uh, he talks about taking a collective pause to try to properly grasp the totality of this situation. Uh, says they've conducted another round of testing for our players and staff. Says the team will remain in Philadelphia where they played Sunday. Uh, pending the results of those tests, which we expect later today as in later Monday. Just react to that statement. Yeah, so a couple of things is one more round of testing is not going to guarantee you that the outbreak has stopped, right? Because you could always have more cases appear tomorrow from transmission that's happened in the last few days. So one round of testing is never enough to say anything good or bad. Um, I'm not sure exactly what will change if they discover more cases. Uh, I don't think anything should really change about what they're thinking, even if all of those tests come back negative. You already have enough cases that you you know there's an outbreak and that there's the potential for more cases. And, and you need to assume that everybody uh, in the Marlins uh, organization in Philadelphia right now is, is potentially infected and you need to treat them that way. And you need to be very cautious about what your next steps are. 
Um, if you do bring them back to Miami on a plane where everybody's wearing masks and stuff like that, you need to think about what happens after they get back to Miami. Are you going to send them back home with their families where we know transmission within households is a very big problem? Um, I think you, you need to think really, really carefully about what your next steps are. And also Major League Baseball needs to be thinking about the Phillies. Um, they have conducted perhaps an inadvertent experiment, but an experiment nonetheless on whether uh, the virus it can be transferred in a game from one team to their opponent. And uh, we are awaiting the results of that experiment. We'll see that in Philly, I think, over the next three to five days or so. Uh, but I think if you want to be cautious, you should uh, probably be quarantining the Phillies as well for the next five days. And that's extra rough for them because really they didn't do anything wrong. But again, it's it's the virus that sets the agenda here and and you have to build build your agenda around what it's doing um all right let's let me ask you about that because when we spoke about the phillies on sunday uh you you said you believe that the risk to the opposing team in this setting an outdoor setting baseball not football not basketball was low to moderate now you're saying you believe the phillies need to be quarantined why is that and is there does there now appear that there was actually a greater risk to the phillies than we realized on sunday so it's a numbers game jason we had four cases on sunday now we have a dozen among the players and several more among the coaches or 11 among the players and several among the coaches and those numbers could change within the next few hours so that's more chances that the virus had to spread uh, number one. Number two is there is still a reasonable case to be made that there was a relatively low likelihood of transmission from the Marlins to the Phillies, but we don't know that yet. We ran that experiment. So we're going to see in the next few days whether that's the case. I think if you're Major League Baseball, there are two rational responses. One is let the Phillies play on. Don't even cancel the game on Monday night. Clean the locker room say we're going to roll the dice and we don't think that there was transmission from one team to another. We just think that's unlikely. Okay, so MLB has decided that's not the right move. So then the only remaining right move, I think, is to wait about five days to see if any cases pop up on the Phillies because just testing them yesterday or today, the virus takes time to show up. So even if every Phillies player and coach and staff member tests negative, that's no guarantee that the virus is not sneaking through that locker room right now. The hard, cold truth is you have to wait a few days to see what's going to happen in the Philly locker room before you can be confident one way or the other. So I'm saying either risk it and play on or wait five days. But waiting one day doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so Zach, I mean, I have a question just playing devil's advocate. I mean, some people don't understand why the Marlins can't just replace these players uh, with others from the 60-player pool. So how would you respond to that? The fact that you have these super athletes, players who are in great shape in a demographic at, in a low risk compared to the larger population. And you have a taxi squad or a squad of extra players that had not been exposed to the players that are sick right now. Sure. So let's tackle the age group question first. There are two problems with that thinking. One is that players are not the only ones at risk. Indeed, we know that several members of the Marlins coaching staff uh, have tested positive for COVID-19. 
Some of those are not young, healthy, elite athletes. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens with them. But they are certainly not at as low risk as uh, as a 24-year-old elite ball player is. Okay. Second thing is that the virus is spreading. And these guys are primarily living at home with their families. So the virus is going to continue to spread through the Marlins organization. Certainly anybody who is in who is in Philadelphia needs to be treated as being potentially infected. If there's been absolutely no contact between that group and the group at a satellite location, I suppose you could try to take everybody from that satellite location and still feel the team. But that just seems brutal and a little bit tone deaf to me, to be honest, to the situation that the majority of your organization is facing. So um, that, that, that would be my response to that plan. And MLB needs to act aggressively now to hope that you have kept the outbreak contained to the Marlins. What you really don't want is it jumping to other clubs who then spread it to other clubs because they're traveling and playing other opponents and this, that, and the other. So, you know, two teams is a lot harder to control uh, than one team and three teams would be even harder. And you really want to stop it from getting to that point. This is the same reason why I was advocating not playing the game yesterday, even with only four cases uh, for the Marlins. The problem is that four cases don't tend to stay four cases with this virus. We knew there was an outbreak, we knew it was spreading, and we knew that number was going to grow, and we knew there was a good chance that more people on that team were infected. And that's why you have to act aggressively early to cut those transmission chains and try to prevent four cases from turning into 20 or spreading to another team. Yeah, and you just raised a really important issue, and that is the implications for the rest of the sport. What can Major League Baseball do to prevent this from happening on another team? Well, look, that's the question right now, isn't it, Jason? And my response would be what MLB needs to do is a quick but thorough epidemiologic investigation to figure out how this many cases happened on the Marlins. What does it trace back to? I can think of a few possibilities, all of which is pure speculation, but I'm just putting them out there as, as some of the possibilities that I could foresee. Number one would be some risky behavior by members of the organization. That would be like a group of players that went out to a bar or a nightclub in Miami and all got sick at more or less the same time. Okay. We've, we've seen that before with other organizations. It's a possibility that would suggest different steps to take than if much of the spread happened at the Marlins facility, say, because people weren't, uh, uh, wearing their masks all the time, or that uh, they were spending a lot of time indoors in close quarters together in the clubhouse or the dugout. Okay, so you want to try and figure out how this virus spread, and you would want to try to either tighten up your protocols or have another talk uh, with your players and staff about not going out and doing risky things and taking the virus very seriously. The other possibility is that the protocols were as good as they could be guys were on their best behavior and there's just so much virus in Miami right now that you really can't hold sports outside of a bubble and that teams like Miami or teams in uh, Texas or other areas that are on the rise uh, will have a really hard time keeping the virus out and keeping it from spreading around their clubhouses. So I think the results of an investigation, uh, which again needs to be swift but thorough, um, are really going to tell us what, what MLB should be doing right now. But until we know more, um, 
it's hard to make specific recommendations. All right. So let, let's ask you the most important question of all. How precarious is this baseball season? Uh, what are the odds based on these developments that baseball can make it through this season? I think it's really hard to provide a number. I think this provides proof that the worst case situation for a team can happen. I mean, you're going to, you've already suspended uh, the games for at least four teams, uh, the Marlins, the Phillies, and their opponents. You've postponed or maybe eventually uh, canceled those games. So you're going to have a disrupted schedule. Not every team is going to play 60 games. We, we already know that. So the question is, how bad is it going to get? And what we're going to need to look for is any other outbreaks like what happened on Miami or any spread from Miami to Philadelphia. And that's going to give us a better idea of uh, how likely the season still is to go off. I don't think MLB necessarily needs to scrap the season just yet. I think that that would be a little bit of an overreaction, but they need to think very seriously about the results of the investigation in Miami and um, and if this can be fixed and if this is likely to be a one-off or if it's likely to happen again and again. I know we've got uh, potentially risky situations in Atlanta and Cincinnati as well, so we'll have to wait to see what happens from those. I think if you saw the situation in Miami repeated for another team, I think that's when you'd have to think very seriously about suspending the season. Wow. And then I'll tell you something that I've thought a lot about back to going back all the way to March. And that is, could something that happens in one sport cause multiple sports to shut down? It happened in the NBA in March. Could it be happening now with all sports as we speak because of the Marlins in baseball? I do not think so. So, the National Women's Soccer League, Major League Soccer, the WNBA, and the NBA have all pulled off, uh, to varying degrees, successful bubbles. But that's the thing. They're all trying to play in single location bubbles. The NHL is trying to do a two-hub system in Canada. I think that has a good chance of, uh, of working, too. I think what MLB does have strong implications for is the NFL, which is trying to pull off a, a broadly similar plan in terms of uh, testing every other day and having players living at home uh, and playing games in home markets. Um, and for college football and college sports in general, uh, this just is more evidence, uh, not that we needed more, but that uh, that COVID-19 can spread through a team and a clubhouse. We've seen that all over uh, college football teams this summer in workouts. We've now seen it uh, a couple of times in Major League Baseball, in the Phillies during spring training, and in the Marlins now. So uh, I think it, it demonstrates the difficulty of bringing sports back in the U.S. outside of a bubble. And so for leagues that are trying to do that, this has very severe implications. For leagues that are trying to do the bubbles, I think they've generally been successful, and I, I remain optimistic for them. I really do. Wow. Well, this is great perspective. It's a it's a sobering time. It's a it's a disappointing and upsetting development for those of us who were really hoping that baseball could make it back and avoid these moments. But it's a reminder of what we're all facing. Dr. Zachary Benny, it's been incredible to have you here at this moment in time. Thank you so much for your insight and your help with trying to assess all of this and i'm sure you will hear from us again well jay much and uh, to you and your listeners uh stay safe wear a mask avoid large gatherings especially indoors and um and take care of yourselves and each other thanks you too thanks again so much thanks a lot bye-bye
All right, Doug, you heard it, man. Uh, let's just kind of sum up the big takeaways from that conversation. He believes the Marlins need to quarantine for two weeks. He believes the Phillies need to quarantine for five days. Uh, it would be tone deaf for baseball to tell the Marlins, I ah, just bring in 30 players from your alternate site and go play the season with those players. Uh, and he feels like it's going to be a major challenge, but not necessarily impossible for this sport to get through the season without being in a bubble. But I think probably the biggest takeaway is let's all remember it's not baseball that's in charge here. It's the virus. What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, an existential crisis in a lot of ways because you can hear the the tentative nature of how we have to decide going forward, like what moves to make. And you see it's so fragile and out of baseball's hands to a large degree. Uh, there was a choice, you know, for various reasons, okay, not to be in this bubble like the NBA or something and trying to navigate the fact that you have players uh, scattered about and, you know, doing their own, going with their own lives. Like once they leave the ballpark, there's a confidence and a trust that's been placed into these players and staff and everybody around uh, hands. Uh, but I, I think as, you know, even as a listener taking this in, you know, I have four kids. I know the world, we're all concerned. And you're trying to make decisions, whether it's go back to school or can your kids, you know, do after school programming. I mean, these are decisions that most of us are facing. And we're looking to baseball. We're looking to these sports who have these super athletes who are generally in a lower risk population uh, compared to everyone else, who have the resources to get the data who can be responsive, who can get tests uh, back to them quicker or more quickly. All that makes you a leader or makes you to be in this role that we're looking to this. And and so, you know, we're, we want answers for a whole host of re- reasons outside of wanting to see our favorite teams play. And I think that's where, you know, the question marks are only gotten bigger uh, because what we're finding that uh, this this outbreak is highly concerning yeah that's a really important point because baseball look the testing had gone well the three previous weeks 13 teams had had zero people test positive right they had the 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 actual rate of positive tests while everybody was in their home field bubbles and following the protocols was well under one percent and baseball i know a lot of people were thinking Maybe this is a model for everybody for how we handle this. If we just follow all the protocols and all the recommendations, we can get through this as a society. So looking at what's happened here, this is jarring, man. This is this should make all of us take another look at what we're dealing with and rethink the next steps, not just for sports, not just for baseball, but for all of us. Be sure to keep clicking on The Athletic because we are covering all of them. Hey, Starkville, Evil Mayor Tim here, taking a minute to talk about dugout mugs. The baseball season is underway, and while only cardboard cutout fans are allowed in the ballparks, you can still get that ballpark feeling with dugout mugs. The company was started in a college baseball dugout, hence the name Dugout Mugs. It's the barrel of a baseball bat turned into a 12-ounce mug. Licensed by MLB with your favorite team laser engraved onto a birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. Perfect for the big game to put on display or as a unique 
Disney gift for a baseball fan. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and use promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and code MLB30. Fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. Let's welcome in one of the great baseball broadcasters of modern times. It's our friend Dan Schulman. Dan, welcome to Starkville. Uh, we're obviously way more welcoming here than Pittsburgh or Baltimore, right? <laughs> well, yeah, so so for people who don't know, I'm a Toronto guy. I'm a uh, Blue Jay broadcaster now more than an ESPN broadcaster, but Jason and Doug, it's great to be with you. You guys are extremely welcoming. Um, and yes, and I know we'll get to it, the Blue Jays are just happy to have a home somewhere. It will be their AAA facility in Buffalo, but you know, we've all got, everybody's got stuff to deal with during a pandemic as we found out and the Blue Jays are in kind of a unique situation. Yeah, I'm guessing most people listening to us know Dan as the dulcet voice of baseball and college hoops on ESPN, but uh, as he just mentioned, our neighbors to the North know he's also the dulcet voice of Blue Jays baseball on Sportsnet. So Dan, we'll ask you shortly about whether you know where your baseball team is, but uh, I think we have to start with a story that uh, Doug and I have been kicking around, and that is the Marlins. All the positive tests on the Marlins as we record this, they're stuck in Philadelphia uh, trying to digest what's next for them in their season, and we're all trying to digest what's next for the baseball season. First off, how concerned are you about what this means for baseball's chances to make it through this season? I, I think it's very precarious uh, in this moment. I mean, when things got shut down in March, things weren't nearly as bad, for lack of a better term, as they are right now. Right. There are exponentially more cases now than there were in March when we just started to understand you know, where this could go. And if you've had like a dozen players, or whatever the current number is for the Marlins, test positive. I understand you can go get a dozen players from your alternate player site, but first of all, you don't know if the other 18 players on your major league roster, are they okay to play? And the team you just played, are they okay to play? And, and then you've got the whole, you know, integrity of the sport and, and all that sort of thing. If you're dipping down and getting players really who shouldn't be in the major leagues just to fill out a roster for seven days or 14 days or however long it takes. So I didn't think something this significant would happen this early. I had kind of gotten myself into a place of relative optimism. Hey, they're out of the starting block and <laughs> maybe they can pull this off. But, you know, as we've seen, you know, a lot of different people in a lot of different walks of life have thought they could control the narrative on the virus or the virus itself. And as we uh, unfortunately have been reminded again, the virus is in charge. Yeah, and the, you know, the testing results have been really encouraging till now but there's a difference between where we are now and where we are for those three weeks when those results were so good and where we are now is teams have started to travel the other leagues are trying to do this inside a bubble baseball is not baseball is allowing players to go home at night they're allowing players to get on airplanes get on buses stay in hotels and this was always a huge worry so sh what should the sport do now <laughs> um sh who should who should be allowed to play should, I, we know the marlins can't play 
at least for now. What about all the other teams? Well, and that's a good question because if you do your contact tracing, the Marlins were in Philly, and now the Yankees are going into the clubhouse that the Marlins were in, and, and the Marlins were playing the Orioles, right? So, Or the Marlins were playing the Phillies. So um, two or three teams are potentially at risk here. And, and you know, Rob Manfred was, was asked this question a couple of months ago or a few weeks ago, what is the number? where you would say it's too much. And, and I don't blame him for saying, I can't say exactly what the number is. It's more of a you know specific or uniqueness of the situation. But this is a pretty big number. I mean, if the Marlins can't play, well, they can, they can play if they're going to use their alternate player pool, if they're going to use those guys. I guess they can play. But like you said, Jason, guys are going home at night and, and they're traveling and they're getting on airplanes and going in hotels and there's no such thing as zero risk right here. And, and I don't know what the magic number is, and, and this is a quickly evolving, rapidly uh, evolving situation. But I, I'm worried if we were to talk on Wednesday, like, would there still be a baseball season? I, I, I hope so. I hope they can figure this out. Um, but again, for those players to come back and start playing again, they've got to have consecutive tests at least 24 hours apart where they're negative. That, that's not happening in the next 24 or 48 hours. And, and and I think the biggest part to me is I don't know if they'll be able to tell which player brought it into the clubhouse. But regardless of which player or how it came into the clubhouse, the fact that a dozen players have it speaks again to how incredibly um, infectious this virus is. And that's what we should all be most afraid of. Yeah. And, and, and Dan, um, you know, as Jason mentioned, the numbers were encouraging but they weren't zero, right? That's the thing, like, and it takes, you know, one person, one scenario. Uh, and you've had a chance just covering the Blue Jays, engaging in players. I mean, what has been their sense, especially with uh, being a team from Canada, for example, and looking for a home? They're on the road all the time, effectively. Right. So what, what's been your sense from talking to the players? So the, as you know, the access to the players we have is very restricted and it's only through Zoom calls, things like this. Uh, nobody gets close to anybody and you don't really have the ability to go up to somebody off the record and say, you know, tell me what's really going on. Tell me how you're feeling here. So, uh, you know, to back it up a little bit, as people know, as you mentioned, Doug, uh, you know, the Blue Jays are not in Canada. The Canadian federal government, the, the health department, Health Canada, deemed it to be too risky to have the Blue Jays going across the border and coming back and visiting teams going across the border uh, coming into Canada. And our health minister did not mention Florida specifically, but he did, he did say something to the effect of, you know, especially because the Blue Jays will play teams from so-called hotspots. And the Marlins, of course, are one of those teams. The Marlins were to come to Toronto this year, as were the Rays and the Blue Jays are going to Florida, just left Florida, just played the race. So, um, yeah, the, the Blue Jays players, I think we're all, maybe more than most teams, taking it seriously because they were in a different country. And if they wanted to play here, they had to quarantine. They were up here for summer camp for 16 days, and they were not allowed to leave the ballpark. They were at the ballpark. There's a hotel, as both you guys know, right in the ballpark. And the Blue Jays could be in their hotel or at the ballpark, and that's it. So I think the Blue Jays, just by definition, maybe took it or maybe had a better understanding of the situation because I know team officials and government officials spoke to the Blue Jays and said, hey, if you want to be in Canada, you have to play by these rules. It's a different country. 
And a couple of players, I think it took a little while to really wrap their heads around it, but eventually they did. And they all said they wanted to play in Toronto, even if it meant quarantining on the homestands when they were here. So the good news for the Blue Jays is now that they aren't in Toronto, where, when, wherever they are, at home in Buffalo or on the road, they can go out and get a beer, they can go out and get a coffee, but they have to be responsible about it. So I'm sure they're glad to be able to take a walk or get a jog in or get a coffee or whatever the case may be. But they're also, as you said, Doug, they're traveling all the time. They're Now, when they go back to Buffalo, that's their home, but they're still staying in a hotel. Uh, they're not staying in their own homes. And there is a little bit of added risk. And as we've seen, a little bit of added risk can lead to a, a lot of positive tests. So I think the Blue Jays are in a unique situation, a difficult situation, but I think they've got good leadership. Guys like Matt Shoemaker and Joe Panic. Uh, I think have really taken charge on this team. And, and I think they understand the severity of the situation and they'll act accordingly. And Dan, one more thing on this. Doesn't this sum up exactly what Canada was afraid of? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, say the Marlins were due to come to Canada next week. So for, for you know, for your listening audience, which would by and large be in the U.S., Canada has not been perfect uh, in terms of dealing with uh, COVID-19. It's not like, um, South Korea or New Zealand, where things are, relatively speaking, excellent. But things are good. We have, I believe, I don't check every single day, but I believe across Canada, we have about three to 400 cases, new cases per day. And Canada has roughly 10% of the population of the United States. So on a per capita basis, things are going, again, relatively speaking, things are going well. There are certain provinces in Canada where there are no cases right now. There are none. Um, and they have, those are the maritime provinces where things are very, very good. I think one province has a few cases and they actually have what they call an Atlantic bubble. You can travel within those four provinces without quarantine. But even if I wanted to go visit my son who lives in Nova Scotia, I would have to quarantine for 14 days when I got there because there are some cases in Ontario. So we're not out of the woods, but yes, Jason, this is exactly what Canada was afraid of. And, and it's interesting, it, there were some polls done during this whole Blue Jay thing about should they be allowed to play here or not. And most of the polls I saw said that Canadian, the majority of Canadians did not want the Blue Jays to play in Toronto. And as you know, the Blue Jays have a rabid, passionate national following. Yeah. Um, but uh, fans said, you know what, we've worked so hard and we've sacrificed so much to get where we are that we it just doesn't if there are no fans in the ballpark they should play somewhere else and, and that's the way it's turned out to be right but but of course what we what we just saw was um okay if they weren't going to play in canada they obviously had to play somewhere <laughs> yeah. um how surprised are you that they wound up playing in buffalo as opposed to baltimore pittsburgh points in between yeah, I, I thought Pittsburgh was going to happen, and the Pirates were incredibly generous. And think about it from the Pirates' point of view. You're inviting, I don't know what the traveling party would be, 60 maybe? You're inviting 60 people, 30 players and say 30 other staff, into your facilities. Not necessarily your clubhouse. That would be off limits. Accommodations would have to be made to have a portable clubhouse or the concourse or private suites or whatever for the Blue Jays. But at some point, they've got to use the training room and the weight room and the batting cage and the field and everything. So um, the Pirates were great, but it was the, the health department of the state of Pennsylvania that didn't want uh, another team in there. And even they referenced, not only is it them coming in, but it's where they will have been. Florida, same, same kind of thing. 
And yes, I know Philadelphia's in Pennsylvania, and yes, I know the Phillies play uh, the Florida teams as well, and everybody knows that. But uh, I don't think the health department was going to kick out one of their own teams, but they weren't going to invite in another new team. And again, I kind of respect it, just like I respect what the Canadian government did. This virus is bigger than baseball. You know, the three of us love baseball, make our livings off baseball, but the virus is bigger than that. Baltimore did not say no to the Blue Jays. Baltimore, a division rival, and the Blue Jays were in negotiations when the Blue Jays felt they were they ran out of time, that they just they had to make a decision. They knew Buffalo was a sure thing. It's their own AAA facility. Mark Shapiro, the president of the Blue Jays, knows the Bison's uh, people from way back when he was with Cleveland and Buffalo was a Cleveland farm team. He's known them for 25 years. The only issue in Buffalo was it's not a major league ballpark and the Blue Jays felt they would be at a competitive disadvantage. They're going to play their first home game there if there's still baseball on August the 11th. And I'm sure by then the lighting and the clubhouse and they'll, they'll do whatever they can to make it big league and to allow for social distancing. It's not just, hey, the ballplayers want a, a big league accommodations right. or facilities. Right. You've got to be able to social distance and be safe. And that's obviously tougher in a minor league facility than it is in a major league facility. So, you know, there was talk of Dunedin, their spring training facility, which was um, basically rebuilt this year, but they didn't want to go to Florida. There was talk of, well, why can't they play half at Yankee Stadium and half at City Field or half, uh, you know, White Sox, half Cubs, that sort of thing. But the more you think about it, the more every situation is complicated. Buffalo was the least complicated scenario. It just wasn't their first choice. Yeah. And, you know, we're, you know, I'm over in Connecticut. So Connecticut is, you know, certainly done fairly well, like you said, relatively speaking with this virus, but you also see the tentative nature of it. You know, it's like, I mean, you're not putting, you know, a wall around Connecticut for the rest of the states. And, and uh, although, you know, they have a beautiful ballpark, the Yard Goats, and their, you know, Boston, New York proximity, you know, seem to be an option. But like you said, it's about inflow, outflow, and the sort of travel, and, and you have so little control. And I think we've seen other leagues, you know, whether it's the Korean baseball or, you know, KBO, there's a lot of other leagues that have found ways to get through it. So I know that's reason to be optimistic. But how do we bring this back when you have 30 teams and, like you said, all this freedom, so to speak, uh, for individual choices to go out in and out? I mean, uh, can, do you see a scenario where you say, OK, maybe we go back in the bubble? I mean, how do you how do you pivot from here? I don't see a bubble because if you're going to bubble, you're you're probably going to logistically, you would probably do like a Florida, Texas, Arizona thing. And those are not wow. places you want to bubble right now. So I, I don't right. the Connecticut bubble over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if, if everybody could use the yard goats facility, they could play uh, 15 games a day. Let's do it. Uh, you, you know, it, uh, and by the way, the yard goats reached out to the Blue Jays. And um, and I believe the governor of Connecticut had some conversations with an intermediary to the Blue Jays about the possibility there. And for what I understand from you know, ESPN friends who live in Connecticut, it's a beautiful ballpark. But, um, you, you know, the I don't know how you the toothpaste is out of the tube, Doug. Like, I don't know how you do it. I mean, you know, Korea is working because per capita there there are way, way, way fewer cases in that country than there are in the United States. And, and whether it was handled better or people are, are doing what they need to do more or whatever. I mean, at this point. You know, the notion of contact tracing, it, it's the virus is so prevalent that this risk is always going to exist. And uh, I don't know, you know, you could put each team in its own bubble 
if, and, and I don't know if Commissioner Manfred can do this, I guess he and Tony Clark would have to negotiate this, but if they came out tomorrow morning and said, we're going to keep playing, but as of now, even when you're on the road, players are only going to be at the ballpark and in their hotel. And I don't know if they can do that because that hasn't been agreed upon. Uh, you know, what's been agreed upon is players will make good choices and have a code of conduct on each team and try to not do something that's going to uh, jeopardize people. But uh, unless they come out and say each team is now effective immediately in its own hotel slash ballpark bubble, this risk is going to exist. And um, I, I can only imagine the phone calls and the meetings that are going on right now with the Major League Baseball offices with the, with the severity of this outbreak. Uh, Dan, you're right. I've read 113 pages worth of protocols. And the stuff you're talking about, the behavior you're talking about, it's recommended it's not required, and we've seen the dangers already of what happens when you just recommend that people do stuff, right? They don't. If you don't tell them they have to do it, they're not doing it, and that's why we're in this situation. I, I, I do want to ask you a little bit just about <laughs> what you do for a living, which is broadcasting baseball games. You're going to broadcast all these Blue Jays games and not see one of them in person? How strange yeah. is that? Very strange. Uh, I think there are a few teams whose broadcast crews won't be at their ballpark at all for one reason or another. I'm quite certain we're the only one because the team is playing in another country. I think that is a unique situation yeah. in which we find ourselves. So um, as we speak now, um, Jason and Doug, I've done three games. I did the three games between the Blue Jays and the Rays. And Sportsnet, uh, uh, the network that broadcasts the games, our production crew did an unbelievable job and, and uh, I've got a – Buck Martinez and I have a man cave at Sportsnet that is like the envy of everybody in North America, I think. We, we have a TV as big as my garage door where we, where we can watch the game. So, But it, it, I don't know how deep down into the TV broadcasting weeds you want to get here. So um, each home team is sending out what's called a clean feed or a world feed. It's known by different things. It's the kind of thing you see at an Olympics where not every country sends broadcasters to call every sport. There just isn't the money or the space for that to happen. So the Rays send out a clean feed. They put their graphics and broadcasters on the pictures, and we put our graphics and broadcasters on the pictures, the same pictures. Um, but here are the advantages we have to personalize it a little bit. Each visiting team is being given one unilateral camera for their own use in the other team's park. So say Tampa Bay was shooting a six-camera show, there was a seventh-camera person there who was just for us, who could be in contact with our director in Toronto. And if I said to our director on TalkBack, hey, Rowdy Telez is in the on-deck circle now, I can see him, can you get me a shot of him? The director says it to our unilateral camera, and we get a shot three seconds later of Rowdy Telez, which the Rays broadcast may not care about that much. So they can stay on Blake Snell in, in, in that moment. They don't have to take that shot. So there's a little bit of freedom there, and that one camera is working hard because that's really doing everything <laughs> that we want. We also, from the Rays, we had a camera dedicated to the scoreboard so we could see line score, ball strike, out, that sort of thing, dedicated to the bullpen so we could see if somebody got up, and we had what we called an all-nine, which is basically a high home camera that shoots the whole field so if we could see if the infield was in or the shift was on. So I'm looking at the big TV in front of me where I can see the game, but I know the bullpens are over here, and I know the, the all-nine is over here, and you just I'm used to just watching the field a lot. One monitor, you guys have done it, one monitor and the field, that's it. Now there are monitors all over the place, and, and 
it, we're, you know what? It's been really, really fun. And there are some things that I've learned are easy to replicate or, or to do. And there are some things that are a little bit tougher, like a guy stealing a base. That, that's a tricky one. When I'm at the game and a guy with speed is at first, I go off the monitor and I lean out and I watch the field so I can say, there goes Glanville before the pitch comes in. Glanville's already a second base by the time I've realized that he's trying to steal right now. And Glanville was quick, but he wasn't that quick. So, <laughs> so you know, it's little things like that, but, but I've been very transparent with our viewers. We actually do a couple of on-camera shots each game where we show them where we are and what our setup is because some people get it and some people who may be more casual fans don't. And we want to, we're all in this together. It's a pandemic, right? So, and people have been wonderful about it. And our crew has been great. Um, just trying to make it as seamless as possible for everybody. And I should mention, Dan has posted some really impressive photos of that man cave. So <laughs> check them out. <laughs> yeah. Very impressive. Well, wait, wait till I tell my wife that after the baseball season, we're moving. There. I'm, I'm, I'm going to need that set up for the winter. I think. Yeah, you could, man. Um, well, speaking of the new normal, we have some new rules in the sport. I, I, I want to ask you about them, or, or two of them. One is the new extra inning rule is one the Blue Jays got to experience live on Sunday. Oh, no. And uh, it was an interesting inning, right? So It was a, a very interesting inning, and we had all kinds of conversations about it on the air. You know, do you bunt or not? The math says don't bunt, and, and who's out there running, and... Uh, you know, the Blue Jays had gone through this whole thing where Ken Giles had blown the save in the ninth inning. Uh, well, he didn't get charged with a blown save, but he had walked off the field with a bad elbow. So now they're deep into their bullpen with guys who shouldn't be really in, in high leverage situations and uh, and that sort of thing. But uh, it did. the Blue Jays got one in the top half of the inning. That was the good news. Um, and you'd think that that would be enough to get them home. But uh, it didn't turn out that way. The Rays found a way, and, and like terrible things happen to the Blue Jays every time they go down. The <laughs> I've witnessed some of those of things. Yeah, yeah, it's a house of horrors for them. And the the funny, not the funny part, the sad part for the Blue Jays is they played really well. They could have won two and maybe even all three of those games, but um, they certainly should have won yesterday. But unfortunately, uh, Ken Giles' elbow flared up. Kevin Kiermeyer hit a two-run double, I guess they scored it to win it in the bottom half. Um, I had watched um, a couple of highlights of games to see what they were like when they went to extra innings. And I don't know about you, I, I lean to the purest end of the scale. But again, my, you know, in 2020, just like I said to Doug about the crowd noise, when in doubt, my motto is, hey, it's a pandemic. Like, we got to do what we got to do. And um, if it gets players out of there quicker and it doesn't deplete pitching staffs, I think the positives outweigh the negatives. I will tell you this, though. A week ago, I would have said there's no way in the world that rule will stay in place beyond this year. And I think I've changed my mind. I think the average fan is going to like it more than maybe we will. And I think the public might push for this rule to stay in. Yeah, I, I actually really like it. People would be shocked by that. But we, we don't have time to, to debate that rule. What One other new rule is we now all of a sudden have 16 teams that are going to make the postseason. Yeah. What do you think the odds are the Blue Jays will be one of those 16? Better than if they uh, uh, if they hadn't made this rule. <laughs> I mean, they're definitely a team that potentially stands to benefit. You, you, you know, if you look, the American League has some powerhouse teams, obviously. For the Blue Jays to make the playoffs, um, 
they're in the East, and I think probably we'd all agree that the East teams have the most difficult schedules, uh, certainly as compared to the Central teams. Although the you know the National League Central is 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 a really strong, interesting division. I, I think I would say fifty fifty. Jason, 50-50, really. I, I could see them competing. Like, if you concede spots to the Yankees, the Rays, the Twins, the Astros, and I really like Oakland. I think Oakland is perennially underrated, and I totally know they've agree. got some injuries right now. But if you concede spots to those five teams, now you're looking at Blue Jays, Red Sox, White Sox, Angels, Rangers, mm-hmm. maybe three of those five right. um, getting into the postseason, not to discount the the other four teams that I didn't mention. Um but, you know, Hunjin Ryu is a, is a really good pitcher. And Matt Shoemaker is healthy. And Nate Pearson will make his Major League debut very soon and throw very hard uh, on the mound. And Ryan Barucki is healthy. Like, they've got so much more pitching than they had. And Tanner Roark and Chase Anderson. Like, they've just got so many more options, so much more depth, whether it's Major League veterans or high upside young guys, than they had. I don't think they'll be a great pitching team but I don't think they'll be a, a terrible pitching team. And if they're a decent pitching team, they've got a chance because they're going to score runs. Uh, again, there are so many ifs going on here. But uh, Bichette, Biggio, Guriel, Guerrero. I am looking forward to watching that foursome hit one, two, three, four in the order for the next several years. And I hope that's the way it works out. Each of them is different. Each of them is talented. Uh, and if they can each reach their ceiling, each of them has a really high ceiling. And, and I think the, this team's got a chance to score a lot of runs. Well, when you have a guy named Rowdy Telez, the best name in Major League Baseball, <laughs> you got to win a lot of games. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's got, you know, the funny thing about him is if you, set, if you ask me who's got the most power on the Blue Jays, I, I think most people would expect the answer to be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Or, like, Randall Gritchick has enormous power, can hit a ball 500 feet. Teoscar Hernandez can hit a ball a mile. I think, I'm just talking about who hits the ball the furthest if they square it up the best. I think it's Rowdy Telez. Rowdy Telez can miss hit balls out to the opposite field. But like some other guys on this team, got to control the strike zone a little bit better, swing and miss a little bit less. Um, If he makes them come into the zone, he's a big man. He can hit the ball a long way. All right, I got a little surprise for my rowdy friends on this podcast, Dan and Doug. You don't know this is coming, Uh-oh. but don't we need to do a little Buffalo sports trivia? Oh, wow. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm going to ask you a few Buffalo sports trivia questions. We're going to see how much you guys know about Buffalo. Dan, you ready for this? Yeah, but I'm from Toronto. What do I <laughs> Not anymore. I'll, I'll do my best. All right. I'll, give you, I'll make it multiple choice. How about that? All right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Start with the Buffalo Bills. Okay. Most career rushing yards in the history of the Bills. Is it OJ? Mm-hmm. Is it Thurman Thomas? Ooh. Or is it Marshawn Lynch? Wow. What do you think, I go Thurman Thomas. Ooh, thermal. Doug, what do you do, got? Do we get to combine our answers like we do? Or no. Uh, give a damn answer. Uh, <laughs> I'll go thermal because he just was, he was a bill forever, right? I mean, he was there a long yeah, time. I'll go yeah, thermal. Ex- okay, you guys are good. Uh, Thurman, 11,938 yards. Uh, wow. Uh, OJ, 10,183. Marshawn, way behind. Okay, now this is a little tougher. Maybe not. Leading passer in Bill's history. By yards. Mm. Is it Jack Kemp? Is it Joe Ferguson? Or is it 
Jim Kelly? The easy answer is Jim Kelly, but maybe it's too obvious. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll go. I'll say it's Joe pretty Ferguson. close. I want you to know that. Oh, is it okay? I'll say Joe Ferguson. I'll say Jim Kelly. Okay, it is Jim Kelly. <laughs> so you guys are one-one. Jim Kelly had thirty-five thousand four sixty-seven. It's about eight hundred more than Joe Ferguson. Yeah. All right, now we're really going to get into some tough territory. Remember? Sabers. Uh, you know what? I, I have, didn't have I'd time have no to chance. research the Sabers. <laughs> Phil, Phil Housley. And That's I, all I know. I, Phil Housley. I, I knew Glanville was overmatched by Sabres uh, trivia. But if there, you have a Canadian on the show, ask him a <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's why I didn't yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, there was an NBA team in Buffalo once upon a time. As Dan Shulman knows, it was the the Buffalo Braves, I think. Braves. Right? What? Yeah. what they call oh, them? My goodness. The yeah. Buffalo Braves. So Braves. Uh, most points scored in the history of the Buffalo Braves. Is it Bob McAdoo? Randy Smith or Ernie D. Gregorio? Oh my God! You guys think good names. Oh my goodness! Uh, Ernie D. I'll say McAdoo since it's the only name I recognize. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys went over two. Uh, it's Randy Smith. Randy Smith Ten thousand four hundred and sixty-five. That's a thousand more than McAdoo. I hate to tell you, Dan. It's almost eight thousand more. Oh than no, Ernie Gregorio. Well, wow. Apparently, got the heck out of Buffalo. Right? Okay. Now this is the really, really tough one. All right. Once upon a time, the Buffalo. Bisons yeah, played roll, baseball Bisons, in the National League. What? This was the 19th century. Leading home run hitter in the history of the old Buffalo Bisons. Is it Dan Brothers, mm. Deacon White, oh. or Blondie Purcell, boys? <laughs> <laughs> Blondie Purcell was a, was that a was baseball a, That was a real person. Blondie uh, Purcell. Well, Dan Brothers is a Hall of Famer, right? Uh, Dan Brothers, I believe he was a Hall of Famer. I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll go, answer whatever Dan answers. I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll go Blondie Purcell just on sheer name. I mean, value. the name is powerful. Yeah. Um, why not? I mean, Brothers, I have a brother, so that's that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you guys are a brotherhood, right? You both went Dan Brothers? Is that, did I get this right? No, I went he, Blondie he went Oh, Blondie, you did. Yeah. Well, this is this is a shocking development because the answer is Dan Brothers, which means Doug Glanville has won the Buffalo Sports <laughs> Trivia Competition here on Starkville. It's a miracle. We both had Thurman Thomas, so I, I got the first two right, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Congrats. Wow. What do I win? You know, a, a bison jersey. I played. I played in I, I, Buffalo. I, I, yes. You played in Buffalo against Iowa what Cubs, you, and I gave a concussion you, oh, to. Right. One of the members of Fleetwood Mac, actually, one time. Uh, wow. By accident. Well, it wasn't really. I opened the door at a live concert, and his head happened to be on the other <laughs> side of the door. So, sorry about that. Wow. that's That sounds like a whole episode. <laughs> Doug Glanville, like Buffalo Trivia. Dan, yeah. do you know that every week, Doug has some story about something that as many hours as we've spent talking, I've never heard. I never heard the Doug Glanville Fleetwood Mac Buffalo connection. That never came up before. You should buy them off him like in Seinfeld. He should share some stories with you. So. Doug, what are you charging me for these stories? Uh, you, know, you know, one cent. We'll do like a, a stick, a bazooka, you know, gum bazooka. We'll, we'll just go there. 
One, yeah, Doug, one shouldn't you give me and Dan a scouting report on how the park plays? I mean, I, it's been a long time. I, I remember the net, though. I remember the net in left field, home run off of Chad OJ, my own teammate. Uh, I do remember that. We, I remember getting into a fight uh, with our own team. We got in a fight in the locker room between Tanyan Sturtz and Terry Shumpert. That was interesting. Uh, I got caught stealing in <laughs> Buffalo, and my manager met me at the third baseline and not didn't just kick me out of the game, kicked me out of the entire stadium, told me to go home <laughs> and go back to the hotel. Uh, so, yeah, I've had some experiences. <laughs> That's, this is yet another story I never heard. Your manager kicked you out of the stadium in Buffalo. He Who did. was your manager? Uh, Ron Clark. Uh, we were oil and water, to oh, say it lightly. Uh, it was a, The umpire was not demonstrative at home plate, and it was, a, it was a strike, but I thought it was a ball. So 3-1 count, we automatically steal. And it turned out it was 2-2. Now, I asked the first base up. I looked at the scoreboard. They all had 3-1. So I went to steal. I saw a ball four. I went in standing up. They threw through and tagged me. I'm like, what's going on? And my manager waited for me at the third baseline as I ran off the field and yelled at me all the way to the dugout and says, I don't want you to just be out of the game. I'm telling you that you're kicked out of the entire stadium. Go back to the hotel. So that was the first. Dan, you ever been kicked out of a stadium? I've never been kicked out of anything. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's time that we have to kick you out of Starkville, though, right? I, we got uh, Doug. We got to let Dan go get some buffalo wings. Yes, but, uh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but Dan, we're so we're so honored that you joined us here in Starkville. I think you've actually been to the other Starkville too, right? Uh, I have been to right. the other Starkville. Hey, this is in my winter life. Yes, this is three weeks in a row, Doug. We've had somebody who's now been to both Starkvilles. This is it. Well. Look, I, I know we won't see you in Buffalo this year, but I uh, sure hope we do see you somewhere. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, guys. Right, Be well. Stay safe. Thanks a lot. Right. You too. You too. You're the to best, you. man. Thanks. Hey, folks. Evil Mayor Tim here again. Starkville loves local businesses. Most of our listeners are around the United States, and what better way to promote your business than through our show? Our listeners are loyal and engaged just like you. What better way to advertise your business than on your favorite podcast. To advertise on this very show, just go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. There, you can fill out a very simple form. We'll get back to you right away. So go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads today. Doug, it's time for one of our favorite parts of every podcast, listener trivia. It's our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And once again, we are literally involving you. No longer do you have to sit back and listen from afar as I read your trivia question. Now we've made this way more fun. If we select your question, we give you the opportunity to ask it to us live. It's your chance to achieve major podcast stardom by stumping us. And so far, that's about how this has gone, right? I believe this is week four of this innovation. Uh, and at the moment, uh, are, are, isn't it listeners three, Jason and Doug zero? <laughs> yeah. We've gotten, yeah. We've gotten partial answers, though. We've all, <laughs> no, we've got, that, that doesn't count. Three out of four, this two out of trivia. three. No, oh. that's not enough. Uh, uh, anyway, Doug, this week we're going to do something a little different all right we picked a really hard question from a listener named john roby 
whose Twitter handle is Roby Wan Kenobi, <laughs> at Roby Wan Kenobi. So, you know, you'd think it'd be a Star Wars character who could just beam himself onto our show, but you'd be wrong because he actually had to work today. <laughs> right. Nevertheless, he was cool enough to record himself asking the question. So let's hear that question now. Hi, my name is John from Ohio, and my question for Jason and Doug is, three players have hit 47 or more home runs, but they also struck out 47 times or less in that season. Can you name those three players? (laughs) Okay. Oh, my God. Doug, of all the impossible questions we've been asked, uh, this might be the most impossible. Yeah, I've tried to look this stuff up because I I am fascinated about the lack of contact. So I I seem like I have looked around this, but now with the numbers attached to it, I don't know. But that is a great skill, power and contact. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Now, you know, fortunately, I've asked a lot of trivia questions and I've researched a lot of notes like this. So uh, I was thinking about the guys uh, who I know didn't strike out much, but did hit a bunch of homers. Uh, That list basically consists of Albert Pujols and a bunch of people who played between 50 and 100 years ago. (laughs) Um, All right. So let me just give you some of these names. Uh, Joe DiMaggio, Stan Musial, Ted Williams, Yogi Berra, Lou Gehrig, Mel Ott, oh, Johnny Mize, uh, and then there was the Todd Helton of his era, Ted Klazuski, who was the answer to like every question like this. So I'm definitely going to put Ted Klazuski in my answer. Uh, and then I'll go DiMaggio because he never struck out. I don't know if he had hit enough homers. And I, I'll, I'll say Albert. Doug, who you got? Uh, I feel good that at least on my temporary list, I had DiMaggio and Pujols in there. <laughs> so there you go. So, but this is we got to put our heads together because we're getting beat down here. So, um, <laughs> what, I mean, Hank Aaron is not on there. Hank Aaron. Um, all right, yeah, Gehrig. It's just it's the forty-seven homers that's got me nervous here. Um, all right, well, let me say Hank Aaron, Lou. Let's stand the man. Let's say Lou Gehrig. All right, so I'm being strategic. We'll say Aaron, Gehrig, and Stan the Man Musial. All right, so we got a bunch of guesses here. DiMaggio, Pujols, Kozuski, <laughs> Aaron, Musial, and, and Gehrig. Lou Gehrig. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of names. I'm, I'm sure we got this wrong. Let's, let's bring in the new evil mayor of Starkville, Mayor Tim, to tell us just how wrong we were. Guys, so close. Really, oh, so close this no. time. Uh, you got, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's the three guys, and you got two of them of the six names that you mentioned. And the third was actually mentioned, but not entered as an official answer. Is it Ted, so Ted Williams? The three guys are Lou Gehrig. Okay. Doug good. got that one. Ted Kuzuski. Yep. Jason, you got that one. And the third one was Johnny Mize, oh, Mize. Uh, who Jason mentioned. Now, good interesting uh, note ah. on this. Kuzuski did it twice. 1954, he had 49 homers, 35 strikeouts. 55, he had 47 homers, 40 strikeouts. Lou Gehrig also did it twice. In 34, he had 49 homers and 31 Ks. And in 1936, he had 49 homers and 46 Ks. Uh, And then Mize did it once in 1947. 51 homers and 42 strikeouts. Two of these guys, Hall of Famers, uh, Gehrig and Mize. And that brings us to our sound for this week, which (laughs) is Johnny Mize. He got the call to Cooperstown. Here's a listen to his Hall of Fame speech. 
Oh, years ago, uh, writers were telling me that I'd make the Hall of Fame, so I kind of prepared a speech. <laughs> but somewhere along in the 28 years, he got lost. <laughs> His career ended in 1953. He was elected to Cooperstown in 1981, so 28 years, but uh, obviously he took it all in stride. Funny speech. Yeah, Good job. Right. I'm a little disappointed you couldn't find a Ted Klazuski <laughs> long ball just so I could tap the fact that it, at least I got the one stumper. You did get a stumper. Right? Good work. All right. But, oh, uh, man. All right. Well, good good work by John to stump us. Uh, we had lots of fun questions this week. Yeah. So of course, of course, we made sure to pick the one that totally bamboozled us. So <laughs> thanks to John for making us look lost as usual. And uh, remember, this could be you next week asking us a question and enjoying every moment of this spectacle okay so we'll tell you how to do that a little later in the pod first one thing we try to do in this segment is use the trivia question to inspire a fascinating topic for our show so doug uh, why don't we talk about how few guys there are in baseball now who have big power but have not joined the strikeout explosion uh, I made a list of some of those guys. Uh, there's Mookie Betts, of course, Anthony Rendon, uh, mentioned Albert Pujols. Uh, there was the young Miggy, Miguel Cabrera. Alex Bregman's pretty good at this. Edwin Encarnacion. And, of course, there's that Mike Trout guy. So who on that list amazes you the most? Whew. All right, let me just check this out. I mean, I, well, yeah, I remember... I remember Miguel Cabrera just destroying us. That 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 was a that was more personal, you know, <laughs> because they yeah. I mean, I watched that guy nineteen. And just, oh wow, what a, what a talent! Right. Uh, that's a tough one. Who blows my mind on this? You're saying is that is that the question? Yeah, who like who just who amazes you the most for his ability, his bat to ball skills combined with the big power numbers. Yeah, well, I think I, I might actually go with Mookie Betts. And Good choice. I, I just think, you know, what is so fascinating about watching him is his ability to hit pitches in zones of the strike zone to places as a defender you wouldn't defend against, right? Like, so he'll take a slider down and away and, and hook it for power the other to the, to the pull side. You know, he just has this unusual knack of spraying the ball around on pitches that uh, do not line up with where you think you would hit it. Like, you know, pitcher on the outer third, I take it to right field. And and as a defender, if I'm an outfielder, that's a nightmare because, you know, my jumps and my positioning or my reads are kind of based on uh, pitch location and also saying, you know, the analytics and saying, okay, if he takes this pitch, this is what he'll do with it. I just found him really difficult to defend in that regard, uh, you know. And, no kidding. Yeah. And, and so when you add the fact that he's also a speed guy with weapons and he's doing so many other things on the field, which are, by the way, exhausting, you know, it seems like, you know, it would just lead itself to, you know, more strikeouts or more ways to be, hey, let me just swing for the fences in this era in particular. Uh, so that's what I think is so unusual about Mookie Betts. I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, I, th I thought about talking a little bit about Alex Bregman, but, you know, you know the more I thought about it, Doug, I thought we've got to talk at least a little bit here about Albert Pujols. I, 
I know he isn't what he used to be, but when I, I took a look at this, do you know that Albert has had 13 seasons of at least 30 homers and fewer than 90 strikeouts? 13. Mm-hmm. What do you think the next most is among all active players? Wow. Like three. You're high. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Who is it? Is it it's Cabrera? two. It's two. Bregman has had two. And, of course, he hasn't been around very long, so he's going to have more. And Edwin and Carnacion. Wow. But two. Two seasons like that for each of them. Thirteen seasons like that for Albert. That's how impossible it was to pitch to Albert in his prime. There was no way to pitch him and no way to defend him. He's not that guy anymore, but he was so special. So glad that we asked this trivia question because it gave us a chance to spit out that incredible Albert stat. Yeah, I mean, look, I I watched him destroy us <laughs> time and time again at Chicago, Philly, wherever. Uh, it is remarkable to have that much power and that much ability to make contact because usually you know players that get into that power mode you just get big you get big and you're rewarded more to get big now with two strikes the incentive is hey that's another pitch I can hit a home run on it's not to make contact choke up or but he didn't seem to have to compromise anything <laughs> to still to still be this type of hitter that's what's so amazing you always feel like in the box you have to trade something off like oh I got to make contact here I got to I got to shorten up I got you know I mean, he didn't have to do that. And that is a tremendous, not only talent, but approach and skill set. So, you know, obviously Hall of Famer, but just that will stand alone in in some of his uh, accomplishments. Yeah, as I said, it's it's Albert and then a bunch of guys who played 50 to 100 years ago who did this. It's amazing. So a little tip of the cap to Albert Pujols. Doug, before we go, I thought it'd be fun to pick out one bizarre thing that happened over the last week and then kick around our favorite, strangest, but truest thing of the week. Uh, you know, assuming that we have a baseball season, uh, we can keep doing this, right? Uh, let me tell you mine. Saturday in Cleveland, we had the third extra inning game of the season, Royals Indians, which meant top of the 10th, the runner headed out to second with nobody out. And uh, here's what happened. The Royals then scored a run in that inning while compiling zero official at-bats. Okay? <laughs> we had uh, what I think you were calling the ghost runner on second, <laughs> followed by sack bunt, sack fly, walk, runner thrown out stealing, that's three outs, but no at-bats and a run. That is baseball in 2020, my friend. Um, Doug, I know you did a, you did the, a Twitter poll, right, on what we should call the runner on second. Uh, what, what won the poll? The winner was Ghost Runner. Uh, yes, I... Uh, That's a good one. So it was a good one. I, I like Base Angel uh, because, you know, Angel's in the outfield <laughs> and Otani, you know, kind of kicked this whole thing off. I was like, oh, man, this is perfect. But uh, I did have forced error in there because it's it's scored as an error, right? Somehow, I don't know who made the error, the scorekeeper? Who who, who actually gets credited with that? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, runner at second, magically, magic dust just sort of appears. So, But ghost runner, yeah, that, that's kind of fun. So I, I can roll with that. 
<laughs> but Ghost Runner's tremendous. Yeah, we had, what was the other one? Yeah. Uh, Dev, uh, there was something about ducks. Is your pole. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was something, a lot of people use ducks as, uh, you know, a designated duck. I thought that was good. You know, ducks on the pond makes sense. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of fun out there, um, but uh, yeah, Ghost Runner seemed to to run away with it. What was your strangest but truest thing of the week? I, I have to go with Kyle Hendricks throwing a complete game on opening day <laughs> in a pandemic. I mean, that just that was like mind blowing. I mean, he was masterful without a doubt. But you know, it, you're talking about an era that keeps pushing back against. Every you know, complete games. I mean, it's it's non-existent now. I mean, Jacob Degrom, one of the best pitchers in baseball, has had one complete game in two years. I mean, that's what we're up against. So you know, the fact that opening day, where you know pitchers are compromised, they have had these really abridged spring trainings. Endurance is a question. We're creating rules to protect them, like the ghost runner at second base and all this stuff. And so they're and and bullpenning using the analytics world is is such a huge factor now. Uh, and so opening day, David Ross, new manager, I'm thinking, okay, that's unusual. And then he gives up three hits, and all three hits are to the nine-hole hitter, right? I think I got that right, right? The nine, so, yeah, right? I mean, the yeah, ninth hole, yeah. hitter, that's it. All three hits by one person. So he gave up no other base runners. Those are effectively a perfect game if the nine-hole hitter doesn't show up. And, I mean, that that was bizarre. So... I, I just think that's strange. So let's throw that in there. That's my number one. It's a, a good one. You kind of buried the strange but true lead there, but you got it. The He threw a shutout. The only hits, the only base runners came from the same guy, Orlando Arcia, and he hit ninth for the Brewers. Okay, so as all this was unfolding, imagine my brain. Okay, <laughs> trying to digest all this. We were texting uh, about it, it too. We were texting. Yeah, we were texting, and just like you know, my life, right? Like when stupid stuff like this happens, my like my my Twitter feed explodes, the my phone ex- erupts, starts vibrating. Everybody needs to know the answer to this thing. Like I just didn't have the ability myself to go through a century's worth of play-by-play to determine how rare this was. So I just deflected to somebody who I knew could do it, uh, my friend Evan Boyd, who works for Stats. Lo and behold, within like maybe 15 minutes, he had researched this. It was the first game in history in which a pitcher gave through a complete game, gave, uh, through a shutout, gave up three hits, and the only hits were by the number nine hitter. Now, it helped that for most of that history, the number nine hitter was pitchers. Yes. <laughs> Nevertheless, the, when, you, when something happens and it had never happened before, that qualifies for the strange but true thing of the week. So, Doug, you stumbled into that, but you got it right. Good job. <laughs> uh, all right, that's going to do it for this week's regularly scheduled Starkville Uh Feels kind of a regularly scheduled. Let, let's remind you again that Starkville is now available in its entirety, absolutely free everywhere you get your podcasts. Um, and don't forget, you can still find us at the Athletic app and the Athletic website. Not to mention, if you'd like to read this stuff we write for a living or the fabulous writing of our amazing staff, there is still no better sports writing being done anywhere than you will find in the Athletic. So if you thought about subscribing, you can get 40% off a one-year subscription by going to theathletic.com slash Starkville. 
Also remember, you too can be a part of this podcast just like John Roby was today. Uh, we now invite the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here on the podcast and prove once again there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. <laughs> uh, let's tell you how to do that. Uh, you can send it via email. Just just knock off that email and send it to Starkville at theathletic.com. Or you can do what John Roby did today. Hit us up on Twitter. How would we find Doug Glanville on Twitter? Ah, piece of cake. At Doug Glanville. Surprise. D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. You got that right, Doug. Every week you spell your name right. I'm and, on it. Uh, you can find me at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. That's Jason with a Y-S-T. Please remember to hashtag your question. Hashtag Starkville QS. All right, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to uh, Dr. Zachary Binney and to Dan Schulman for visiting us. Thanks to John Roby for the trivia question. Thanks to our new evil mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. I'm not sure what's going to happen to the baseball season in the next week, but I know one thing about us. We will see you next week on Starkville. Starkville.